Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything to everyone all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to the whirlwind. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and boy, do I have such a powerful, amazing story for you today. But before we get stuck into it, you know the drill. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you jump onto iTunes and hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, feel free to give me a rating and a review so you can let other listeners know what they're in for. If you're on the gram, head on over to at Mummy Republic Podcast so that you can keep up to date with all of the episodes, the guests, and all things motherhood. Now, Today's episode does come with a trigger warning. It contains information and themes of sexual abuse, child abuse, and does lightly touch on the subject of pregnancy loss. If you're sensitive to any of these topics, or it may be triggering for you, I would suggest not to listen. For the rest of you still joining me, your heart may break a little with this one. Today's mama is as brave as they come, finding strength in her vulnerability to open up about her story and share with others in a hope to not only support, but to raise awareness and show you are not alone. Welcome to the incredible Adele Ferguson. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. (gasps) Thank you for joining me. We have cracked some champagne uh, before (laughs) lunchtime, which is completely appropriate. That seems to be my MO these days. Um... You said before you were feeling a little bit nervous. How are you feeling now? I'm pretty excited. I think I'm going to say I'm excited because it's the same feeling, right? Nervous yeah. and excitement. So I'm going with excited. Um, definitely it's a new part of a growth for me. I've called this in. So yeah, I'm t- yeah a bit nervous, but I'm excited to yeah shed some light on this and help other people as well. Yeah. And I think that's the key. There's um, a lot of power in storytelling and there's a lot of resilience when it comes to sharing your story so let's sort of start from the beginning yeah so um my mum and dad separated when I was four um and she had got into a new relationship fairly quickly um from what I remember and they were married really quickly by the time I was five so in a really short period of time yeah um and Yeah, I found it really hard because I was really much a daddy's girl. So not to have like my dad around um, and going to see him every second fortnight, um, that was really hard for me as a young child. And then it quickly, those weekend visits actually had stopped um, because my mum had found herself in an extremely abusive, domestic and controlling relationship, which had stopped the relationship with me and my dad. Um, did your dad intervene at any point when yeah he definitely I remember going to my dad's every fortnight and I remember the last time that I seen him I actually came home with a Winnie the Pooh backpack and I was so excited and I was like look mom look what dad got me and I was just 
so excited and my mum's husband at the time was just livid um he's got my bag and he's like you're having nothing to do with your father and I remember him grabbing this Winnie the Pooh bag and then lighting it on fire like he was extremely jealous um about like this relationship and then this Winnie the Pooh bag that I'd bought home and I remember him going through in any photo that he could find um he just got rid of them destroyed them that was the last time I remember seeing my dad um, and we were quickly, we had moved um, from Melbourne and interstate to Queensland. So my dad had like no contact. He didn't know where we were. Um, and I actually went up until I was 16 years old before I ever spoke to him again. So now on the other side, I know that he did definitely try and look for us, but we were quickly yeah, taken away and we moved interstate yeah, when I was six. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. Yeah. Circling back, did your mum see those types of abusive behaviours early on or it didn't come out until they were married? Yeah, they were married really quickly. I remember they they got married when we were still living in Melbourne um, and he was very physically abusive to my mum. And I look back and she definitely had seen the signs and she felt that abuse. Um... But I think she was just really scared to leave um, and she was invested and in love, I suppose, mm. with this guy at the time. Um, so, yeah, she just, I guess, was very controlled by him. Mm. Yeah. And obviously that went on for some time. How did that then filter down to you? So when we were actually, before we had relocated to Queensland, Um, I remember this day playing outside with my brothers and sisters. My mum was at work. He often took care of us while my mum worked. So she worked and he didn't. Um, And I remember the first time that I was ever sexually abused by him. Um, I remember playing outside and then he called me inside and said, Adele, like, come inside. And I remember he shut the back door and locked my um, younger brother and sister outside. And I remember him taking me to the lounge room and saying to me, Um, I want to show you what mum and dad do and he used to refer to himself as dad Um, and I remember like looking back now and there was a video of pornography on the tv and I at five years of age I just had no idea like what this was Um, and that was the moment when he began to rape me um, in the lounge room in front of this video and I remember just being in so much pain and screaming and crying he just said to me like you can't tell anyone you don't tell mum like if you say anything I'm gonna kill you Um, so then I from that moment on I knew that this was something bad like it was I just felt a lot of pain from it and I remember just crying and crying afterwards and my brother and sister outside and then I was basically just chucked back into the yard with them to play. My sister would have been probably around one because there's four years difference between me and her and my brother 11 months and I just remember going out and thinking like what just even happened in that moment. Oh my god. Yeah. And obviously being terrified at five years old not knowing what to do and what to say you just kept your mouth shut yeah because I was so scared of him um I knew that yeah he wasn't good and I you know I remember all the moments that he would beat my mum up and he would physically really hurt her I used to think wow she's gonna die like I'm gonna lose my mum and I can't say anything he's really scary and 
so I just I didn't say anything and that abuse continued for five years onwards um, to the point where like no one ever knew about it he was very good at when he would you know hurt me and sexually abuse me um you know it'd be the times my mum wasn't there I remember just screaming when my mum would leave being like don't leave me I want to come and to her at the time it probably looked like you know just a little girl wanting to go with her mum but mum's got to go do the groceries and get her stuff done so she you know she didn't I guess suppose look into why I would be so frantic but because I behaved like that, he used to say, if you behave like that, you're going to get really hurt and I'm going to hurt you. And if you tell your mom, I'm going to kill all of you. So that behavior of me displaying that fear when my mom would leave me in the hands of him really stopped because I knew that if I continued to behave like that, he would hurt us even more. Um, there were nights, you know, my mum would be asleep and I remember I was so scared. So I'd always sneak into my brother's bed. I'd always try and hide. We had bunks. So I'd go onto his bottom bunk and I would just lay there just shaking, thinking, I hope he doesn't come in tonight. But he always would come in and he would take me out of the bed, take me out to our back shed, rake me out there. But And my mum was in the house. Um, and I would hide in cupboards under the bed, just hoping that... He wouldn't, you know, hurt me tonight. Any opportunity that he got, um, if I was, if we were alone, then he would, you know, leave my brothers and sisters in the living room or outside, and he would take me to another room of the house and, yeah, rape me or do whatever that he wanted to do. And if I would put up a fight, which a lot of the times I do remember just screaming and kicking and fighting, um, this basically grown man. I was such a little girl. Um, and he would say, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to go get your sister. And I used to just, I think it makes me a bit emotional looking back now because I always wanted to protect my brother and sister. So I remember the times where he would be physically violent to my mum and he would be on a rampage through our house and things would be smashing Um, weapons would be coming out I remember just getting her and just taking her into a room and putting her in a cupboard or hiding away so we didn't see what was going on and I would just lay there praying like please don't kill my mom like please don't and I definitely thought we would die in the hands of that man Um, I thought that's how like our life would end Um, So I went through with that happened for till I was 10 years of age. And I remember laying there most nights, just praying that we'd get to live one more day. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at 10 years old, your sister's then five, the age at which it started for you. Did she have any inkling of what was going on or your brother? Because obviously sneaking you away when they're little, they don't. That yeah. they wouldn't have understood. Um, looking back, like not really my young sister, I always protected her. So I did literally whatever he told me I'd have to do to him or whatever <sighs> he'd want to do to me so I could protect her because I never wanted her to feel this pain that I was going through. And I remember my brother just always trying to stand up for me and protect me um, when, you know, there would be an argument and I always felt like he would try and protect me. But at the same time then he would be really physically hurt um, Mm. if he did. So I guess um, he did it in the times whether they're around, even if they were aware. And I don't 
my brother and sister were never aware to the extent of what was ever going on Mm -hmm. um and no one was um because he was I guess so clever in the way that he would do these things to me when there wasn't people around or he would take me away and I remember when we relocated um to Queensland we didn't have a house we lived in a caravan park and so there wasn't much opportunity in the caravan. So he would at night um, say that he has to go somewhere and I would have to go with him. So then he would, you know, rate me in his car or, you know, outside somewhere, um, wherever he would take me. Um, so he was very, yeah, I guess, clever in the way where he would do it and how he would do it. So he wasn't caught at that point in time. Of course. Well, obviously, you know, he's thought about this whole thing. What was he like to you in public? You know, when your mum was around, was he affectionate or was he... Yeah, he definitely had like a split personality. Everyone that was around him loved him. Um, He was, you know, nice. He was kind to people. He had people wrapped around his finger, but behind closed doors, he was just this complete monster. Um, So he was very affectionate. Um... You know, he'd play this role of being a dad and things like that, but behind closed doors was completely different and people were in awe of him, either really liked him or they were very scared of him. Mm. Um, I remember this one particular night, my mum and him had kind... We There was many times where we had gone into hiding homes. I remember there was many times that police had come because neighbours had called because of the abuse that they heard mm. um, from him and my mum. But he would always end up back in our home um and I remember this one particular night we were at home um and the phone rang and I remember mum saying get all your stuff packed like pack clothes pack them and I remember just packing mine and my brother's sister's clothes and we're putting them in garbage bags and she pulled up and we got in the car and we were heading to a friend's house and I remember her saying to me Um, he was going to kill me that night that she'd met him somewhere and he said I'm going to end your life tonight and I'm going to you know cut your throat and put throw you in the river and I just remember getting to this friend's house and we got there and he was actually there (gasps) and I remember my mum just locking the door um, and he was just like smashing out the car like and he eventually got in um and he grabbed my mum out and I remember him strangling her so bad on the end of the driveway there is neighbors around everywhere I'm screaming for someone to like help my mum so I start and I start like I'm like get leave my mum alone and I'm like fuck off and I remember just being 10 and I just swore and he looked around and he was just livid and I remember getting I like got back into the back of the car and I'm trying to duck in between like my brother and I remember him just like hitting me and I got out the other side and I ran so fast into this night uh, into this family friend's home at the time and he came in and he just pulled my pants down and he just started smacking me with his belt until I was like bleeding and then in that moment someone was calling the police and I remember the police arriving you know um, to the house and he was taken away but the next day and a few days later, he was back in our house. How? How yeah. was he back? I just, at the time, I think, like, I look back and I used to have a lot of resentment. I used to have a lot of anger towards my mum, just thinking, like, why? Like, he just hurts us. But I can't, 
I don't know what that's like because I don't have a relationship like that. Mm. But I could only imagine how scared she was of Mm. this man and I guess him saying, I'm going to change and all these promises that I'm sure he would have had um, just lured her back in Mm. um, into these relationships. Well, into this relationship, particularly with him. So he would be back. And and I completely understand that there's a cycle of abuse when it comes to somebody who's in a domestic violence and clearly she didn't realise what was happening to you. Yeah. Um, but I also don't understand from the police perspective how he can, you know, be strangling her on the road, physically beating you in public and still be allowed back. How does that even happen? Yeah, and we were in, um, like, we were going to hiding homes and safety homes, I guess, Um And still to this day, I don't understand why he was back or why there wasn't more intervention. I don't know that it was particularly from a police point of view. I don't know if it was more that, you know, you're allowed to drop charges. I'm not sure where I ever came into it because there was abuse. And I remember the police coming in that particular night and taking photos and, you know, talking to me about this. And then he was back. It wasn't the last time that we had seen him Mm. um and she wasn't aware at all what had ever happened to me I kept that really to myself um I definitely look back now and think well I had some really interesting behaviors as a child like I was very reserved I was really fearful um I wet the bed up until I was a teenager I remember if I was ever brave enough which wasn't very often that I would go and spend a night at my friends because I was so scared that my mum would be killed so I never wanted to leave them so I always felt like I had to be there to protect my siblings and stand up and fight for my mum um so I wouldn't go but if I did there was many times where I'd call my mum I was homesick I needed to go home or um I would sleep in the bed with a water bottle and if I'd wet the bed I would just say oh I've I left my water bottle on down it just leaked Mm. because I was so embarrassed Mm. about being a teenager and you know wetting the bed Mm. um and even yeah when that abuse I guess happened and I started venturing out they I started thinking of ways how I could cover up how I was actually feeling Mm. yeah well you're so used from such a young age you've had these mind games where you've had to just create an alternate reality Mm. when did it come to a head so there was we were in a hiding home um and this was the last time that I'd seen him. We were living there for some time. Um, he was gone. I was really, like, as a young child, I was so scared I would end up in my mum's room or in my brother and sister's because I couldn't be by myself. Mm. And I remember um, living in our last home. And one night we got a knock at the oh, I remember before this, um, we were at the shopping centre and... I remember it was like Christmas time or there was some celebration on at the time and my mum thought she had seen him in this shopping centre and she's like, quick, quick. So we got out there and we got in the car. But that night he'd actually must have followed us home or found where we were living. Um, And I remember being, you know, in the lounge room and I was working on a tiger project for school and there was a knock at the front door and I remember just looking like this and it was him. And I remember my legs just shook so much I was shaking and I just started weighing myself because I was so scared 
And I remember looking and he had seen me first. My mum was somewhere in the house and he's like, if you tell anyone, like, I will kill you. And that was his last message to say, like, don't you ever say anything. What had happened to you over all these years? And I just didn't say anything. I was just shaking and weeing myself. Um, and so that that was a moment where he had they'd actually had ended there. Um, and I, I used to always have this hope that and goal and dream that we would just live one more day. And I thought when this one day when this is over, I, I'm going to be happy and life's going to be good because he's not in it. But that's when the real trauma began for me. So it wasn't the pain had ended. Yes. But mentally, I had lived from a young girl just trying to survive. So my mum got into a new relationship um, again and with actually a really beautiful man that just changed. um, She was with him for a few years. Um, He changed my life and he he helped me a lot. But when I first met him, I remember just screaming at him, being like, I hate you. Like, what are you doing? And I never wanted my mum to be with anyone um, because I was just so scared that we would get, should get with somebody that would do this again. again. And I'm, to me, I'm thinking, well, we finally don't have anyone. Like, we're going to be okay. And then there's this new guy there. But he turned out to be actually really amazing. <laughs> and I thank him. And yeah, I hope he listens to this one day and he knows just how special and what an impact he made in our life at that time because it was a part of my healing journey. Um, but he, he watched me really closely, I guess, as a child. And he, you know, I'm sure he would have said to mum, Adele's got some odd behaviours, you know, the wetting the bed, really scared. Um, and I remember him coming and saying, you know, he's never going to hurt you. And... Then one day he asked me more in depth, like we began this really nice relationship and we were really close. He was the first thing that I guess I had to a dad because my dad wasn't around and, Mm. you know, there was parts of my dad I could remember, but a lot of parts that I couldn't. So um, he was like my dad and, you know, people actually used to think he was my real dad because I'd walk and I'd talk and I'd behave like him (laughs) because I just idolised this guy. Um, but I remember him asking, he said, did, did he ever do anything more to you than just smack you and hurt mum? And I remember asking him straight away, I knew that he knew that something more had happened to me. And I was like, no, no. I shut the conversation down really quick. I was like, don't talk to me about it. No. Nope. And I was had always said to myself, I'm never going to tell anyone about this. Um, and then some time went on again and I remember my mom and him sitting me down again saying like just please like I think something else has happened to you like you know you can tell us we're safe and I was just like no nothing and then they then they bribed me with this stereo that I wanted (laughs) (laughs) bribery (laughs) and I remember being like oh I didn't really want the stereo and this this information and all this pain that I was carrying was very heavy for me mm. and I just wanted help and but I, I just struggled you know every night nighttime was my the hardest time for me I mm. could not I I didn't sleep I, I only fell asleep when my body just couldn't stay awake anymore I would just lay there lay there just so scared um, and it got so much for me that I ended up t- telling them. I felt safe enough. I thought my mum's, you know, with a really nice man. I feel like safe. I'm just going to tell him. But I didn't know what was going to come with me saying that to them. Mm. And what came with that was straight away, obviously, they said, you know, we need to tell the police this. Like, we need to stand up. And we have to, 
you know, go tell them like everything that's happened to you. And I remember my mum just, you know, just breaking down and I couldn't imagine as a mum what that would feel like, your child saying that to you. And, you know, as a mum, like Mm. your job's to protect and love your kids and so there would be a part of you that feels a lot of shame, like you failed this. And I could see that in her. But I just kept saying, I'm I'm never going to tell you, mum, what happened because I don't want to hurt you like that. So, you know, I don't want you to ever know. So um, if I go to the police and we went there straight away, um, if I go, then I don't want you in there. I'm, I'm going to talk to them by myself. And I did that because I didn't want her to feel any more pain because that would have already been enough for her. And how old were you at this point? Um, like nearly 11, yeah. So very young. But I think I was always just this really grown up. Like I wasn't your typical... 11 year old like I thought I knew it all at 11 and I was very you you had to you had to yeah I was very I guess switched on and um I remember we went to we first place actually was the doctors and then the doctor needed to examine that okay we need to you know see what's been happening and straight away they could see how much internal damage and things like that I'd had and um the evidence that they had to collect and um I remember getting examined like examined and um yeah it was just I just couldn't believe that I was doing it like I I just was so shame I just felt so much shame and I was very embarrassed by it um and we went to the police and I remember getting there and I was getting interviewed by a male detective but it just triggered me because I didn't trust men and I was very scared of them so I remember saying, I can't talk to you and I need a, I need a woman and I can't have a man. I just, and he obviously could see this. So they brought in this beautiful detective and she just, just made me feel so at ease and so safe. She was absolutely, yeah, just a really beautiful person. Um, and she made a great impact on my life that I even wanted to grow up and be a detective like her <laughs> to help, you know, children in this, in these times. Yeah. Um, and I remember being interviewed and I had to use, you know, big words like vagina and penis and things like that because that was the correct way of speaking about our body parts, whereas I would call, you know, my vagina a wee-wee and things like that. So I remember just sitting there and I couldn't really understand what she was saying, but she needed me to use, you know, these words. Yep. Had your mum ever spoken to you up until this point about you know, sex or vagina and penis? Nothing. No. No, it was a really like, my mum was really like, you don't have a boyfriend, very strict. We didn't Mm. talk about sex. Like it was a really just taboo topic. You just Mm. didn't speak about it. Mm. So I was very well aware what was happening to me um, as I got older. When I was younger, I just didn't really understand it. Mm. Um, But then I started knowing, okay, this is bad. Um, I'm really scared. This is really painful. Um, And I even brought it up. I remember bringing it up with some girls at school. And this is the thing. I never stayed at a school long enough. So there's there's another, like, um, behaviour that, like, a narcissistic domestic person would do is you don't stay in the one place for very long Mm. you don't build relationships Mm. so that this is why people you know don't pick up that something could actually be happening and going wrong but I remember asking my friends at school like does does your dad do this to you and in my like in my language when I was young and I remember them seeing this shock on their face and I'm like it's okay actually please don't like please don't say anything about this please keep this a secret I can't say anything and I begged for a secret from them 
Um, and looking back, I and I try to teach my daughter now. We don't have secrets. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah, and but they they swore on my secrecy, so no one never knew. Um, and at that time, it it could have changed the whole thing. Something could have happened. Like it could have been intervened like at a much earlier age. Um, but I swore for their secrecy, mm. um, not to say anything. So from those, these little things that I put together growing up, I knew that it was bad. I knew what was happening to me was wrong and it shouldn't be happening. Um, so, and I guess not being educated as well from family or school, because I, w- was, I was young, so we didn't, you don't talk about sex of ed course, yeah. at that age. So um, I didn't really know. But when it came to being interviewed um, and telling, you know, the police and detectives and everyone what had happened I had to start learning really quickly mm. what they'll you know they'll try to ask me and I had to use it in my own language um but I remember them being two very very long days um talking to them and telling them everything that had happened and there was one part of me that felt really embarrassed I was over it I was so exhausted so I just cut out some information. I just didn't tell them about it. But when I was examined, um, you know, by the doctors and specialists, they had realised that I had been, you know, raped anally and vaginally. But I just kept it, you know, I tried to just skim over it. But because they had that evidence, um, they knew more had happened um, to me. So I was called back in um, to give more evidence. And when I thought it was all over, it, it just wasn't over. Um and so that my days there my evidence was given um and I just try to get on life because we're never at the same school for long but because my mum had met um her new partner we had you know there was stability so we're at a school the longest school I'd been to was for a year and a half um when she was with him so I remember just getting into life it was great um Nothing for four years come up for him because he was actually, you know, he had fled and he was interstate. Um, they actually had no information on where his whereabouts were. Um, so four years later, um, you know, we're, we're living a really nice life. We're going to this really great school. Um, and my mum separates from, you know, her partner at the time. And I just remember being devastated thinking, why... Are you leaving? He's our dad. He's amazing. He's heartbroken. We have this great life, but for her, it wasn't what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had separated. It was an extremely hard time um, when they we had moved, and at that same time, my mum's ex husband was found. Mum um, is aware that he's been relocated, um, and I'm not. It wasn't yeah. brought up in conversation, and I remember my mum, you know, telling me this one day. Um, I'm nearly 14, um, Adele, tomorrow I'm going, um, I've got an interview, then I'm going for a shopping day and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, can I come? And I don't want to go to school. And I'd just started high school and, you know, she just played it off. No, no. And then later that night, she's like, you know what, let's go have a day together tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I was always aware of what was going on around me. Um, and I remember going to this big place and it was actually the courthouse but there was no signs because it was getting renovated at the time and I remember lining up with my mum like oh why are we here she said she's got an interview we're going up lifts and we go through security doors and we get through like security doors and you can't get in and out without passes and then we get to this hallway and this lady turns around and she goes 
hello and says to my mom and then she says hello Adele and straight away I thought how do you know my name Mm. like my mom's here I knew there was something going on and we get to this room and she says do you know why you're here today and I was like no but I just started screaming and she's like, yeah, you're here because it's time to give evidence against my mum's ex-husband. Hang on, in a court case? In a court case. And in a room where he was going to be? Yeah. And no one had prepared you for this? Nothing. Are you kidding me? Nothing. No preparation. I look back, I was mad. I was so angry at my (gasps) mum. I remember just saying to my mum, I hate you. And now I look back and in that time... She did the best that she could with the knowledge that she knew. Of course. Of she course. knew that I may have ran away because yeah. I had um, tendencies to run. Like like when she had separated from her partner, I used to be so angry. I would just run away from home. I would just go sit in the bush and just think about life and everything. So I guess she did the best that she knew at the time. But for me, it wasn't the right thing. I wasn't prepared I just couldn't believe that all these years had gone by and that I'm about to stand up to someone that I am petrified of, that I'm about to go through this whole um, trial and sentencing and everything. Um, And had you been seeing a counsellor or a psychologist or anything in this in-between period? So there were times where I had gone to psychologists, but I just didn't like them. Mm. I just you know I I didn't really I guess I didn't try but I was just so scared I never felt comfortable and I would see some and then I just wouldn't go Mm. and so I was on and off so really I actually had no help or preparation um and I guess my mum just tried to support me the best that she knew how Mm. um and so I turned up there and um they said it's okay you don't have to see him today you're going to be in a different room via you know, a TV and um, there's going to be like a support person in the corner. And I just couldn't believe it. I was so angry. And the detective that, you know, took the evidence, everyone was there, like familiar faces. And she said, yeah, we're going to take you and um, you're going to watch your videos back from years ago, um, you know, to refresh your mind. And I I was thinking, I don't want to do any of this. Like, I don't, I already told you, like, why do I have to do this? Like, Mm. um, and I just walked out and I remember saying to mum like I hate you so much like I hate you and I could see how much pain she was in but I was in so much pain and I remember just going um you know to watch these videos and then when it was time I was taken into this room and I could have a you know a break when I needed to and but it was a young girl standing up talking to defence barristers, you know, um, his side's trying to, like, win the case. So they're mm-hmm. saying it didn't happen by this man. It happened by somebody else, didn't it? And I oh, have to God. stand there and say, like, no, this is what I, what he did to me. And I know that he can full well see see me on his screen in there, but I couldn't, I couldn't see him, which I was really thankful that I didn't um, have to look at him at all. But um, we gave evidence and it went away. The jury went away and he was found um, guilty. And then it came to the sentencing a few weeks later. Um, I I can't remember the exact time period um, that the sentencing happened. I went to court for the sentencing, but I decided that on the day I actually didn't want to go in there and see him, that Mm -hmm. I I wanted just to stay in the waiting room. And my mum went in and... um, my everyone that was fighting for me they all went in there and 
they all came out and they were so happy um, because he was sentenced to 11 years um, and he served five um, years behind bars and I remember everyone being just so excited but there was a part of me as I grew older I wanted to know the detail like what was he remorseful or mm. you know how was he and um, he wasn't he had a really big smile on his face and um, the sickening part about it is he wore the wedding suit that he got married to my mum in on his sentencing day oh. um, so that always kind of stuck with me and I um, I went through with it because I thought it didn't matter about the time. Of course, I wanted him to, you know, serve the, his whole amount of time. And five years when I was younger didn't seem long enough um, for me. But he served five years and it was five years that I knew that he couldn't hurt another child like that again. Did you get to give a final statement or did you get to say something to him through that camera that, I guess, your parting message? Yeah, I remember... Um, I remember them saying to me they they try and get you to really crack like their job is to make them win this case right and I remember saying to um his defense barrister why would you do a job like this like why would you do a job where you're telling a young girl that she's lying and she spent years in pain and I remember saying this is bullshit and then they said I think you need a break and they just kind of stopped it there so it's you know I wasn't getting too emotional and worked up because there was a part of me that became really angry at people that do jobs like this yeah I'm thinking why don't you want to be on the other side Mm. you know the child side but that is their job um and I remember just being so angry but as in saying something to him no I was still very much petrified of this Mm. man and I spent until my 20s being extremely scared of him um even when he went um to jail I thought when he's in jail I'll feel safe but I had began to create all these patterns of just surviving that I'd never felt safe Mm. um so when I thought that the physical pain would be over and then my life would begin and I'd be happy it was actually the most hardest time for me Mm. um where I was so fearful I couldn't be by myself I would check cupboards every single day under beds making sure he wasn't hiding or somebody wasn't there because I always felt like someone was there to hurt me um, and I would say to myself, just just check those cupboards or um, check under the bed because then you'll feel safe knowing that someone wasn't there. Um, but these behaviours became really, really unhealthy. Going back, when the court case was over, I was ex- like, I was a very angry teenager. Um, I actually didn't want to live. I used to think, why was I born? Like, I wish, you know, my mum never had me. And I used to think of ways to you know, take my own life and um, it was, yeah, really heavy and and although I thought, wow, that was really empowering what I probably did as a young girl to stand up and now I look back and I think, oh, what what an amazing, strong young woman I was. Of course. Um, but at that, in that moment, you don't, you don't feel those emotions. I I was still really scared. Um, and my mum had separated from her partner. Our life was what I felt like was a real mess. She got into a new relationship and one that I, at the time, didn't accept at all. Um, so she wanted to move away and that was it. I didn't want to move anymore. I said, I'm not moving. I'm going to keep going to school. So I actually had formed this relationship with my next-door neighbour and he was 
10 years older than me um, and we were really close. We formed a friendship on he had similar abuse and I felt like he was somebody that could support me. Um, so I basically said, you know, can I live here? My mum's like, yeah. Um, How old were you? I'm 14. I'm young. What? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm living here and I'm putting my foot down. Like I'm not moving. Um, so I started living with him. But then that friendship turned into a sexual relationship. Of course it did. You were 14 and impressionable and angry. And and vulnerable. And it it was just so very unhealthy. Um, It was a really unhealthy relationship. At the start, I thought, this is fun. This is cool. Someone, you know, someone is holding a container and I feel safe and I feel loved. Yeah. But it wasn't that. Um, So we started a relationship and then he became he was actually really physically violent and I'm this young girl thinking that I'm a grown woman that I dropped out of school in year nine I didn't go back to school I started to work um, and I started to run away with this guy 10 years older than me Um, and I remember our life was a mess and we moved out to like a place where you didn't get reception for a two-hour drive and I remember my neighbor I was really close with her and I remember her saying Adele if you don't leave this relationship he will kill you Um, she was well aware of the abuse that I was getting from him Um, so at 16 years of age he decided to leave one night um, and he went to like a woman's house and early hours in the morning there's police everywhere at our front door and I'm like what has happened and I'm so scared and I just didn't want to answer because I knew something bad was going on so I just kind of hid in the front room and then they were like out there open up and so I went out there they asked for this guy and I was like he's not here and said oh he's been involved in a accident um his car's been found in you know somebody's front of their house and he's not there. And I knew that he would have just ran away. Um, he was scared of the police. He, he didn't have a great relationship with them. Um, and I remember he said, he gave me his card and he said, you know, he's got to contact us by this time. Um, otherwise we're coming back to arrest him. They, they actually came back later that night and he was arrested. That was my moment where I sat there and I thought, what am I doing with my life? I'm 16. I haven't spoken to my parents for a couple of years. I miss my siblings. This, I'm, I'm actually a really strong woman. You know, everyone thinks that I'm okay, but I'm actually not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, this is a moment I think I need to go and find my family again and I need to go home. So I knew where the suburb that they lived, but it was three hours away. Um, and I didn't know where they had lived, but I knew where my stepdad's parents had lived. So I went there and I asked and they said, wow, um, you're here. <laughs> and they were really shocked. And they said, oh, actually, your mum and that lived down the road. So I went to their house and I remember just walking in the front door and when she heard my voice she just thought I was my older sister and then she just like turned around and just broke down she just couldn't believe that I was home but I was like extremely underweight I had so many marks all over my body from him um and I just was just a complete mess as a teenager um but I knew I wanted more in life that I didn't want people to go through what I had went through and I loved kids so much. I thought they just deserve love. Like they would 
anyone's child. I just wanted to babysit them. I wanted to be around them. They made me feel good and I just loved them. So that's when I decided, okay, I've got to get my life on track. My relationship with my mum was still extremely strained. Mm. Um, you know, we didn't really see eye to eye. We fought a lot. Do you feel like that was because there was probably that resentment? I had a lot, a lot of resentment mm. um, for for a lot of years. I think for me, because I always try to survive as a child, I got to a point when I became this young teenager that I said to myself, no one's going to hurt me. Like Mm. literally no one is going to fuck with me. No one's going to tell me what to do. Um, I am my own person. I'm my boss. So when my mum would try and help me or parent me, I was like, no, I'm my own person. You Mm. don't, you don't tell me what to do. Um, I'm looking after me. Um, which definitely would have been super challenging for a parent because I was very rebellious. Um, But I only ever wanted to do good. Um, I wasn't, you know, everyone, when I was growing up and people would hear my story, they'd be like, Adele, you're so normal Um, because I wasn't addicted to alcohol or drugs. But that didn't make me normal and I don't even know what normal is. Um, (laughs) No one's normal, let's be real. Um, I wasn't, but everyone would think that that was normal, like, they had seen struggles and people would turn to those things to try and cover up pain and I hadn't but yet no one knew the behind the closed doors how I felt and how I would check cupboards and beds and I couldn't shower um you know without having like my partner um at the time to be in the room or like I was really just such a frightened person I would check wherever I went I was always looking over my shoulders I wouldn't go home if I thought someone was following me but to everyone else, they thought I was just this happy girl. But I struggled really badly um, when I was alone. And I made sure I was never alone. Um, so at 17, me and my mum just clashed when I returned home. I met a person that I fell head over heels with in love. Um, and we were together for seven years. We had a great relationship, but there was still you know, I felt controlled and I was just such a lost like woman at the time. Um, so we, you know, we ended up separating, but in the time I was with him, you know, I made sure I was never alone. Um, and when he had got a job that actually required him to work away, I would make sure I would call my sister over and get her to come and stay. But when people and my family would make comments like, why can't you stay alone? And, you know, they never meant anything by it, but I really felt judged by it. Mm. So I, decided that okay I don't want to be a burden on anyone and I want to pretend to my boyfriend at the time and my family like I'm strong I'm living in this big house by myself Um, but I would sleep in my car and I would have the dogs on the outside of the car in the shed because that's where I felt safe I felt safe that if anyone came in I knew I could just drive away Um, so I had an extremely unhealthy relationship with myself on my own Um, and you know, and people thought that I was normal and that I was doing okay. But I guess I felt so much shame around telling them the truth um, because I never felt that there was a safe container held for me, that I didn't feel like someone loved me like I wanted to be loved. Mm. And I learned that later in life that I had to find it as well within me. Mm. I had to, you know, really love myself and give myself exactly what I needed. And when my relationship had ended with my partner for that long time, um, I went traveling and I went to Cambodia and I worked in a children's orphan 
and I then had met my partner that I'm with now and we've got beautiful babies together. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I had somebody that just understood me and Mm. I decided if I'm going to heal and get over, like not get over this, but if I'm going to overcome this, I had to choose what hard I wanted now it was really hard living a life like that it was Mm. extremely hard it's exhausting too you know constantly feeling like you have to cover it up and to put that perception out that you're okay when clearly you're not yeah and it was exhausting and I was tired I didn't sleep I think for years and years and years properly and when I had met him he was just no judgment he just supported me and I had told him everything and he is like wow like you're so wonderful and you're so strong and he he was he's just my rock he is literally my best friend um, and then I knew I wanted to be with him and I wanted to have his children and I wanted that life um and so that's when I really began the healing. I've seen psychologists. There wasn't a one fixes all for me. It was mm. a lot of multiple things that I, that had healed me. And whether that was turning up to a Tony Robbins event, or it was the psychologist, or it was you know um, timeline therapy and spirituality and all those modalities of healing, it all helped me. It wasn't just a one thing fixes all. Um, but I had met my beautiful partner and I knew that it it was time. I didn't want to search another cupboard. And you know, the whole time that I would say to him, babe, can you just check the laundry cupboard before we go to sleep? He would just do it with Mm. no comment. He, you know, he probably really didn't understand, but he was just there to support me. Um, and I couldn't go for a walk by myself. I couldn't be by myself. And he used to love hanging out with his mates and there was a time in our relationship and I thought I'm withholding you from doing that because I'm scared so I would you know I never wanted to be controlling so he wouldn't mind he would plan his days around daytime and not night for that moment in my life um but then I was like you know I don't want to stop you from doing that and this is my work I have to do it and he's already doing enough for me um so he would go and I would just make sure that I had a friend there um and I was okay with it because I knew that one day I'd get to a point where he could just go um but it took a long time to Mm. get there Mm. um we had talked about having children and I thought how am I going to be a mum like how could I stay at home with a mum and have a routine and all that because I'm still scared to be on my own Um, So I used to think about what shopping centres had, what kind of change rooms that I could go and hang out for the day while he was at work and take our child there. But now I'm a mum and I know how impossible that would be. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good in theory, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I used to just think, like, how could I fill up each day that didn't require me to be at home because I didn't feel safe? Were you scared of becoming a mum because of, I guess, the relationship you had with your mum? Um, I tried so hard and I used to say to myself, I'm never going to parent like my mum. I'm never going to end up in a relationship like my mum. Mm. I used to base everything on and try to be so hard not to be like her. So there had to come a level of forgiveness and acceptance of mm. my mum that my mum does love me and she had so much love for me and she loved me how she knew the best that she could at the time yeah um 
And even today, our relationship's still not what I would, I love, but I'm just accepting it. Mm. And there had to be this massive level of forgiveness. And I couldn't have a child and try so hard not to be like my mum. I had to have a child and just be the mum that I always craved and wanted to be, um, to love our girls the way that they deserve and to protect them. And that was finding the right person to have children with, which is Mm. my partner now. Huge. Um, and trusting him and knowing, okay, he's going to, he, he loves, he's the best dad ever. Mm. (laughs) Um, he just loves our girls so much. And when I got to know him and know him on a really deep soulful level, I knew, oh, I could definitely have your children. Like we're going to be the best parents. We'll try to be the best parents together. Um, so it didn't scare me, but it scared me putting the fear that I had into our children. Yeah. I thought yeah. I, I never want them to feel like it. It sucked feeling like <laughs> that. I just didn't want them to have to feel that. And they were going to feel that if I had, um, didn't, you know, I owed it to myself to heal. So. And they do say that, that if, that if you do the work on yourself as confronting and as terrifying and as uncomfortable as it is that's where you break those patterns and yeah you you're able to parent your children yeah the best way that that you can for them yeah and I had to think what is triggering me mm. um news was a big thing that triggered me I always wanted to know what was going on who was around but it was one of the biggest things that triggered me mm. because things similar that had happened to me were popping up on the news so that made me really anxious um and really frightened so I had to go okay what what are what are my patterns but the moment although I did much you know I had done a lot of healing it was the moment that Sam and I decided okay we want a baby want to try um it took us you know a, a while to conceive um I had a few miscarriages and then we were finally pregnant and we had our scans and everything was going great um and I remember we went to the ultrasound and we we're going to find out the sex of bub and we turned up and bub had actually had no heartbeat and I thought how is this possible I've got no signs I'm pregnant and they said oh your baby had passed away actually we reckon about three weeks ago and how far were you at this point um I was 13 but I thought I was around 16 weeks okay. um but Bob measured at 13 weeks and I thought wow and I just remember just thinking, like, life is not on my side. And I very much went into a, like, yeah, just a really bad state. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. And I was pregnant for a few more days after that before I naturally um, gave birth to our baby. And I remember when we left the hospital the next day and we were empty-handed and I couldn't see the floor because there was just tears everywhere. And I remember looking up as I crossed the bridge at the car park and there was this massive rainbow. And I thought, what is, like, what is this teaching me? Like, I'm already strong. Um, And I thought, I really have to heal that I can stay at home with my baby. Like, it's not my time just yet. Um... And it was a really painful experience, but it's when I started taking off the layers and I thought, I can't pretend to just heal. Like I'm still Mm -hmm. pretending, uh, you know, I'm turning up to appointments and I'm trying to talk to them and then I'm thinking I'm happy because I was so in love and we had this great life, but I wasn't actually 
doing the work and it was that moment that I got home and I said to Sam I'm never checking a cupboard again like it's time like it's time I just don't do it it's time that I take myself for a walk um and I start thinking about peeling all these layers off and you know remaking these new patterns um and it was that moment that it gave me actually so much strength it was painful and it was a really hard to, thing to go through, but it taught me so much. Um, and it was a, the pinnacle moment of me healing. I didn't check another cupboard. Um, I started just actually walking out the front door up three houses and I thought that's enough for me. Then I started feeling scared. I was like, I want to do this, but I don't want to feel scared doing it. Yeah, I'll just push myself a bit further and a bit further. Um, and we had specialist appointments and all of that. And he said, look, I don't know that you're compatible to have kids together. So while we're doing the testing, you mustn't try. And at that time I didn't know, but I was actually already pregnant with our daughter. (laughs) We're not trying. (laughs) And it happened one month later um, because I feel it was the time that I said, yes, I'm ready to heal. Um, And I began understanding what are my triggers. Um, I started working a lot with my subconscious mind and I loved it so much that I got trained in it and that's how I love helping people now because it was rewiring the things the the old patterns that were taking over me um and I'm I'm human as ever there I'm not perfect at all and there are moments still today that I get triggered but I live a very happy and I feel very safe um and I can stay at home with our children (laughs) and we have a great routine But when those moments come up and I feel triggered, um, our neighbor's house a little while ago had got broken into um, and that was through their daughter's room and that triggered me a lot. And it started making me check my daughter's cupboard um, because I'm like, is someone here? And I knew that that was my old patterns, you know, playing out a bit. And I just remember going, what do I need? And I needed to go back and just love and hug this young girl that was still inside of me and say, we're safe. Um, and you know, it changed so much. It, when those triggers come up for me, I'm like, I'm going to face them straight away. So mm-hmm. it doesn't become a, you know, a massive problem or um, like, I don't feel like I've got fear overriding me anymore. Mm. Oh, and, and it's, you have such an incredible story, but I think it's a prime example that you can come out the other side, but it takes a lot. You've got to do the work and it's, yeah. it's hard and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you feel like you've healed or do you feel like you'll never properly heal, but you just know how to deal with it now? Um, there was a point where I thought, am I healed or not? But I, I definitely say I've come a very long way and I've genuinely, and fully healed um, a lot of parts of me. There are parts that still come up, um, but I'm like, I just deal with them straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but 100%, I feel really healed from what had happened um, and very detached from it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel really strong and brave. And, you know, I had to go through a lot of forgiving and get to a point where I could forgive somebody like that Mm. um to set myself free um and forgiveness without the apology that you deserve yeah which is even harder yeah 
and I thought you know I owed it to myself and I believe anyone that's you know dealing with trauma or gone through a similar thing they are so brave like you're stronger than you know um, and you owe it to yourself to do the work and I always say what hard it was really hard to heal really it took many years I, I will never sugarcoat and say it was easy um, but it was harder to live like that and I owed it to myself to actually live a really beautiful life um, and if I wasn't going to give it to myself I had to I owed it to my daughters um, I want you know them to always feel safe um, that they're strong and really well educated on their safety and their body and that's a really big thing in our family mm. um, you know our baby not so much yet but our two and a half year old is very aware that this is her body mm. um, that you know no one is to touch her and she's safe and all those things so I had to be that example for them um, mm. to show them you know, you can overcome anything, but also I wanted to be the best mum that I could and that I owed it to myself to heal. Mm. Going through that experience and like you touched on educating your daughters, would there be advice that you would have for parents? And again, you know, your mother and all parents, we do the best that we can with the information that we have. But would you suggest anything to parents when it comes to talking about sexual experiences or body parts? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, you don't realize how smart, like our children are very smart, oh, right? They're so crazy smart. Crazy smart, yeah. Um, so from a young age, we use correct words with Avalia. Um, mm. She knows what a vagina is and she knows what a penis is. Mm. And she associates a man has a penis and a woman has a vagina. And sometimes it's embarrassing. There's this <laughs> tradie across the road who says, Mom, he's a boy, he's got a penis. I'm like... But, okay, you know, she, she knows what that is um, yeah. and we talk to her and, um, you know, when she's having her bath and things like that, I'm, I ask permission to wash her or would you like to do it, sweetheart, because that's mm. your body. Um, and then she gets to, you know, choose and if she needs a help, then I can help her because she's young. But, um, yeah, the secret thing, mm. we don't have secrets um, and I know, and you don't think anything of this, but, you know, people are like, come here, I want to tell you a secret, I want to tell you I love you. I just, we don't have that in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't secrets because it is a way um, when, you know, there could be potentially a time that a child could be around somebody like that. I want my daughters to always know that they're safe. They can tell me absolutely anything. Um, and for older children, definitely, you know, talking about sex and, oh, and yeah, older children talking about sex. Um, and I think being a parent that's just open-minded and allows your child to feel safe enough to have conversations with you about mm. what is going on. A lot of um, older children and teenagers will keep information away because they fear their parents' response. Yes. Um, so I always want our girls to know no matter what it is, no matter what they do, I want them to feel this is a safe container and they can talk about anything with us. Mm. Um, and asking, you know, checking in with your child, it, it's not a, not so much about, you know, them being around somebody 
that could be hurting them that yes that could be happening but just checking in with them and seeing how they're going um and building that rapport and relationship with your child like Mm -hmm. actually having that connection where they know that no matter what is going on that they're always going to feel safe enough and brave enough to speak to you um and anyone you know that is going through trauma there are beautiful places to reach out to um that has information and even women in domestic relationships, white women, that they're, they're great for education. They've got a lot of great things on educating, you know, signs if you feel like somebody might be in relationships like that and how to help them. There are, there are a lot of organisations and it's, I think that's the thing, you know, being mindful that it is scary and it's, it's a big thing to step out of your comfort zone and reach out for help, but it is really important. And even, as you said before, around children, making those relationships so you can open the conversation. There's a quote that's sort of been bouncing around where it says, if you don't listen to the little things when they're younger, they won't tell you the big things when they're older. And it can be really hard as a parent because like Peyton talks for five minutes about some (laughs) crappy subject that I'm not interested in, but it, you know, it is about opening that conversation and giving them space to tell you things because they will quite often lead in with the boring conversation then drop oh by the way such and such was mean to me at school yeah it's it's a juggling act now obviously you are a mum to two beautiful girls yeah uh and one of the things that I'm huge on is I guess mum life balance and making space for yourself because you are still a person and I like to call it the me before mummy yeah what is it that Adele does to connect with the person that you were pre-children there was a lot of years that I obviously didn't want to be by myself yes but I've gotten to a point i thoroughly love me time (laughs) yes it is a priority in our family and every single week um and sometimes weeks slip by and you forget to do you but I make sure I have me time um every single week and whether that's doing something that I love or just you know sitting out everything that I do is actually what I love um but sometimes it can be treating myself to beautiful things or a massage or you know just sitting by myself meditating Mm. I, I do have a routine I like to get up before the kids it doesn't always work but I like to just sit there and you know do a little meditation nothing super fancy but it keeps me really it keeps my emotions regulated so we make sure like that I have me time um, my partner has his time and we have a lot of family time together but it's a priority that I put myself first so I can show my girls how to put themselves first in life yeah and I yeah. think that is a huge lesson to show them that you know you're more than just a mum yeah because one day potentially they'll be in the same boat yeah well, I um, know that you're doing amazing things in the space of helping women and I'll be sure to put all of your details into the show notes so that people thank can you. follow along and find your wonderful business. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. It's taken a lot of strength for you to open up about this, but I think it's a really important conversation. So, thank you so much for having you. me. I feel just so honored to be here and thank you for all the beautiful things that you're doing as well. Oh, drink your champagne. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I have no doubt that for many of you that was really difficult to listen to and I know for me as a mother it was incredibly hard to hear those kind of things you know you just 
you could not imagine one going through it yourself but two actually having your child experience such pain at such a young age and to then hear the flow on effect my goodness I just am in absolute awe of Adele she is such an incredible woman and so amazing for telling her story because she wants to educate people that this is the kind of thing that goes on and unfortunately it happens a lot more than we think but you can get through it and a few things that I took away from her conversation is that firstly if you are a victim of abuse in any way shape or form you're much stronger than you think you know it's very easy to revert back to feeling worthless but you owe it to yourself to do the work to give yourself a beautiful life because that's what you deserve and in her words she says it's all about choosing your hard From a parent's perspective, when it comes to educating our children, Adele's suggestion is to make sure that we're comfortable in talking to our children about these issues. Don't be afraid to open conversation, to make them comfortable and to make sure that you teach them that they are the ones who own their body. If you would like to follow more of Adele's journey, you can find her over on Instagram. I'll put her details into the show notes. She's doing some incredible things. While you're there, make sure that you follow along at at Mummy Republic Podcast. And if you happen to take some time for yourself and reconnect with that person that you were pre-children, don't forget to use the hashtag the me before mummy and tag myself at Mummy Republic Podcast so that I can share it with other listeners and who knows who you might inspire. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again. Lots of love and I'll see you next week.